Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hey, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Volvo's giant killing run continues at Melbourne. Fantastic! It just shows how good a boys I have behind me, and and guys that you know can you know uh, tune an engine from the other side of the world and. And, you know, bring a great package. Nissan get a pole and a podium. This is my very first pole position, so uh, everyone's pretty happy and, um, yeah, very proud. And we find out about tyre banks. Tyre guys hate it when a new engineer arrives and changes everything that they've done for years. It makes it very, very difficult. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insider. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Here is the news for Nobrac carbon fibre products. Check out the entire range today at nobrac.com.au. Scott McLaughlin gave Volvo its first ever race and event win in the V8 supercars last weekend at the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, awesome. It's um, great to get our first win for Volvo and a great car and, and something that um, you know, I can fight for wins with and to come with around wins. This weekend is fantastic. McLaughlin told the V8 Insiders that he and teammate Robert Dahlgren have a busy schedule ahead of the next round of the championship in Tasmania. Um, so we're actually heading to Sweden tonight, myself and Robert, so we're going to go see the Volvo guys and uh, you know, learn what it's all about and try and get an, a, a closer look at the background of everything. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that with, with Volvo and, and Robert and um, you know, having a bit of fun. They got any cars lined up for you to give a fang? Uh, no, I, I don't know. I don't know exact details at the moment. I just think that we're just going there for a few meetings and, and just, you know, meeting everyone at Volvo that we haven't met before who haven't come to Australia, and um, no, I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, Robert knows uh, his way around the Volvo factory. He's been with them for so long. What, how do you see his development, and how are you helping him? Um, oh, I mean, he's he's uh, he's going really well. I mean, he, he's got a lucky qualified 11 from that and qualifying this up, uh, yesterday or, or where it was um, at Albert Park. So, you know, he's going good. It's just obviously the racing is a lot different to Sweden and a few things, but, um, you know, he's getting handle the cars. And, uh, you know, it's great to, you know, he, he actually helped me make a setup change for uh, this Sunday's race and made the car rocket ship, and um, it's amazing. Mm. Well, we look forward to seeing you down there in Tassie and have a safe trip over to uh, Sweden. How's the Swedish? Oh, not too good. It's about as good as my French. Craig Lowndes finished in second. Behind him, the Nissan of Michael Caruso, who took the pole on Thursday, then on Sunday came through the chaos to finish in third place. Oh, look, it's um, absolutely brilliant to, um, you know, we started fifth. We got, um, I guess, crushed back to eighth, I think, at the start, which was, um, you know, it was, it was on for young and old. I mean, I was just getting absolutely toppled back and hit from, you know, every corner in the car. So um, to manage to um, to climb back up to third by the end of that race uh, with a fantastic car speed, it was as good as it's been this weekend and the car was um, really working well and obviously to um, get Garth over the line 
um, just made it even sweeter. Shane Van Gisbergen won three races out of the four, but a broken front sway bar cost him in the double points final. He finished 14th overall. So after four races, the top ten were the Valvoline Racing GRM Volvo of Scott McLaughlin taking the win from the Red Bull Racing Australia Holden of Craig Lowndes. The Norton Hornets' Michael Caruso in the Ultima finished in third. Garth Tander in the HRT Commodore finishing in fourth with Fabian Coulthard, the Lockwood Racing car, which started the last race in second place, finishing in fifth. Six through ten was Will Davison, Mark Winterbottom, the highest of the Fords, James Courtney, Tim Slade and Lee Holsworth. This week on the White Flag Lap, we find out more about tyre banks and what each team has to manage from Dunlop's Kevin Fitzsimmons. But the teams themselves, uh, they hold off um, 80 uh, tyres in their workshop at any time. And finally, James Warburton seemed a bit confused whether the series would be having two races in the USA or North America when he spoke to the media at Clipsal. Look, we, we, we basically went and saw all the major circuits. I mean, this, you know, I, could, I could give you a shopping list. Um, some uh, are no chance, some are a 20% chance and some are an 80% chance. So I'd prefer just to say we're working through a twin and, uh, you know, and ideally that's the outcome we would like to achieve. Obviously, Circuit of the Americas is one, um, you know, with the contract there, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in how we roll in terms of giving you guys a shopping list of everything and throwing it up in the air. So we're we looking at US, Mexico, Canada? I've been, we're, we're going to have a twin, uh, is the ideal outcome, and then obviously we've got some other countries that we're talking to, but again, you know, we don't, we don't want to get into get into the detail of that. Well, we're, t- we're talking to everyone, Mark. So, we, Mark, we're talking to everyone in the USA. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but no, no, I'm, I'm not going to give you a list. Why, why would I give you a list? Yeah. USA. USA. Yeah. And five other countries other, other than the USA. Okay? Predominantly Asia and those other countries. Um, mate, I'm... Um, <laughs> We would like to get back into the international market. We're going to have between one and three races. We'd like to have a US twin, okay? and then we'd like to have one other in 2015. That's the ideal outcome for us. So rather than speculate about where we could go, we'll, we will, as the definitive, come back to you and tell you what they are by the middle of the year. VFX magazine is on sale now. You'll find new columnist Gary Rogers talking about his Volvo team that is exceeding expectations and what happened to the tracks that the V8 supercar calendar forgot. It's on sale now in stores, online, and check out the great new VFX app at vfx.com.au. On this week's roundtable, Tom Worsley and Gary O'Brien will discuss the Grand Prix support events. But that's the news on the V8 Inside, brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out their entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. 
showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. From Tom Worsley Media, it's Tom Worsley. Good evening, Tom. Good evening, Craig and listeners. And also, well, Gary, I don't know what to uh, call you these days. I guess you're the Nationals editor of Auto Action, so that's a good start. The statewide editor, uh, Johnny Come Lately, do whatever he can. (laughs) Hello to everyone, and also to Tom. Good evening to everyone. Gary, what does it mean? Volvo's first win at the top level of Australian motorsport for 17 years, its first ever V8 supercar win, and just remarkable. The double points race at the end of the day means he wins one race, but his consistency gives him the weekend. Yeah, well, that's what it's all about. You've got to perform over four races, not just three of them, don't you? And certainly uh, Volvo uh, getting to the top was no surprise, really. we all seen that form on the board at... uh, at the Adelaide Clipsal 500, and uh, it was just a matter of time before he actually won a, ra- won a race or won a round. And so far, uh, he's st- the, uh, young Scotty McLaughlin did what he did last year, and he's won a race at the Australian Grand Prix. Let's hope this year goes a bit further than just uh, one other win. Yeah, and that's the thing, Tom. He had the runs on the board at the Albert Park track because he had won there before. Yeah, it was... Uh... I think less of a, of a surprise to see him win this year as uh, as it was last year. Obviously, he's uh, got a year of experience under his belt and uh, having that fantastic form at Adelaide, I, I don't think there were too many people surprised to see him up the front and to, and to see that Volvo going quick. It, it does sort of uh, really highlight the advantage that Volvo actually had by coming in a year later, Gary. It certainly does, and it actually puts to shame a little bit the AMG and Nissan efforts, considering they've had a 12-month head start and uh, have yet to uh, to emulate the uh, the performance level of what the Volvo and GRM have achieved in their first uh, couple of races. Do you think the fact that Volvo's going so well, Holden's are up the front, even the even the uh AMG, Erebus, Mercedes were two of them in the top ten by the end of the weekend. Does it really make uh, Ford think about having to do something in a, a much more meaningful way, Tom? I'm sure that if you speak to the Ford boys, they're going to throw up the uh, the evil P word and, and uh, start questioning parity. I mean, realistically, it's the oldest car in, in the field now. The, um, the FG Falcons... I believe in its last year, so they argue that it's the biggest car and they're at a slight disadvantage because of that, but um, I'm not sure what the answer is, whether whether Ford needs to get their act together in terms of performance or whether it's just time for a, for a, new, um, a new shell. Certainly, Chas Mostert said to me, We've, our aero is just too old, even though the, you would think, Gary, that the car, the new generation car, would have been measured up 
with all the other cars at the same time because I don't, and I guess I'm saying I don't buy that argument because they all started afresh last year. Well, I, I have to agree with you. They were on online or on ball with Triple Eight last year, won their share of races, won Bathurst. Um, so that that argument is, is absolutely correct. And uh, where they've uh, fallen behind this year, um, you know, we're only talking less than a second in qualifying, and uh, you can't count that. <laughs> That's how close it is. And just at the moment, they're just a fraction off. I think um, David Reynolds, for instance, at uh, the Clips of 500. Doesn't like driving there. Doesn't never race successfully there. Likes going to the event. Don't get us wrong, but just at the end of the weekend, all he said, "I'm glad I got that one out of the way because that's always been their bogey track." And um, you know, we've seen what happened to some of the other cars. Uh, Chas Mossett caught up in an accident that wasn't his doing, and uh, likewise Mark Winterbottom as well. So, and of course, you've got Jack Perkins, who's new to the team and new to the car. So, yeah, I'll give them a a couple more meetings. I think they'll be right where they should be. All right. Now, the interesting comment there, Gary, because you said Chesmos caught up in an accident that wasn't his doing, but the officials certainly didn't say he was blameless. Well, that that accident down there at... um, Well, we're talking about the Clipsa one, I gather. No, Um, I'm talking about the Adelaide one. Uh, Sorry, I'm talking about the Melbourne run on the weekend. Yeah, I, I was referring back to uh, their form. I don't, I don't really consider the, the Melbourne Grand Prix a, a good form book, uh, considering that uh, it's a non-point scoring round. And I mean, I know that the guys try hard and they're very keen to win, but uh, when it comes to championship points, you you must have to look at the clips of 500. And over there, you know, they they had to pace there. There's no doubt about it. Even the uh, put. The DJR cars were, were on the pace, but again, you know, through silly accidents and whatnot, just fell behind the uh, eight ball slightly. I agree with Gary in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think there are quite a few Ford drivers that just need a bucket of luck sent their way. I mean, um, Scott Pye, for me, I think was a, a pace uh, pace setter. He qualified inside the top ten twice, but just couldn't convert it to a race result through uh, getting caught up in other people's dramas. So um, I think having less cars on the grid, um, and I realise that uh, it's still more than what Mercedes, Volvo and... Uh, and uh, the, uh, sorry, Mercedes, Volvo and, and Nissan have, uh, you know, I think that they're not performing quite as, as strong because we've just got so much... Uh, more competition at the front end and um, across the whole field. There's there's not much separating first and twenty fifth. Every mistake's being amplified, isn't it, Gary? It is exactly. And uh, we well going back to the <coughs> pardon me, the accident you referred to at the, at Dalbert Park. You know, uh, Dyson with Garth Tander. Garth Tander ended up somewhere about fourth in the last race. So they've put the pace is there just that all the the pennies haven't fallen their way. Mm. Well, of course, uh, that was a bit of a war of words over the course of the weekend, Tom. Garth Tander and Tim Edwards having at it after uh, Tim Edwards made some comments about uh, Garth and the way he treats young drivers. Uh, not just um, not just a war of words between Tim Edwards and uh, and Garth Tander, but I noticed um, some of my more passionate V8 friends on on Facebook they were giving each other heaps. And you know, as soon as the accident happened, the Ford guys came out and slammed Tander just just as Tim Edwards did. And uh, you know, I think that Tander is uh, he is a little bit notorious for. Um, 
giving younger guys and a good a thorough initiation into the category but uh, in this instance he was feel, found in the clear and it was uh, found to be Mostert's cause. And that's been one of the great things about the young drivers coming in these days, Gary, is they don't uh, they don't expect to be given any, and they're certainly not a tradition, and they'll mix it back up as as soon as uh, the more experienced guys will. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen probably the best example of the lot, and um, I remember he and Garth Tander. Uh, having a war, war of words over qualifying runs at Homebush a, a few years back when uh, the Giz was driving for Stone Brothers. So uh, it's not new and it's part of the procedure. I mean, Carstander was a young fellow himself once driving for Gary Rogers Motorsport in a, in a Holden Commodore and um, certainly he had his issues at uh, Eastern Creek now known as Sydney Motorsport Park turned around in the middle of the field but uh, just planted it going the wrong way <laughs> so he could have uh, made that a lot worse than what it was but you know, it's, it's a process that all go through and you know the the young guns of uh, the the early noughties uh, and now the old heads of the uh, the series and uh, want to ex- keep it that way that they're, they're ruling the roost mm, well we need to take a break here on the van insiders plenty more when we return controversy corner is next when we return with more on the v8 insiders find out more about your favorite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the v8 insiders you've taken the v8 to the races you watch the action on tv now read about them in v8x magazine v8x magazine dedicated to just one thing V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Tom Worsley and also Gary O'Brien joining me, Craig Ravel. And guys... If you win three races from four, shouldn't you at least be on the podium if you finish the last race? Yeah, well, not if you finish the ten. <laughs> um, obviously, everyone knows that uh, the Giz had a problem with uh, the front sway bar being broken from the start and uh, really battled a fairly chronically poor handling VIP uh, Pet Foods Commodore. And uh, uh, it was unfortunate that he didn't uh, finish on the podium or at least win it because he, he was the guy with the form. But... You know, it's a consistency thing as well as, as winning races. You can go out and win two races by a country mile, but if you don't perform well in the other two, you know, you're out of luck. But we saw the gerrymander, Tom, where the last race was worth two wins. I would kind of agree with that if it was twice the distance of the other ones, but I, I think it was a little bit un, in some ways unfair that you've got one race that's worth 50... Uh, sorry, that's worth... Um, twice as much as the rest it's not really a fair format and um, I think that if if they're going to go down that path you need to actually weigh up and um, like a a points round where the longer race is worth more points I I think that's the way it should be Mm. well actually sorry Greg just to to jump on that point a little bit Um, Aussie racing cars race their final race of four over a weekend over double points I'm quite a a fan of having qualifying points added to your total and um, include that as like a separate race worth points if you know what I mean like the V8 Utes do Mm. yeah 
there's so many different things you can do with points. And obviously the decision there was to mimic somewhat what the Formula One is doing with Abu Dhabi being worth double points. Although I've been hearing a lot of talk that that might even be cut um, due to disquiet. But look, uh, that that will all be uh, brought out in the wash. But I think at the end of the day... We did get a very close podium. We got uh, the Volvo win. And Michael Caruso, his last desperate lunge at the line, well, it got rewarded in more ways than one. Yeah, of that third spot. (laughs) By nine thousandths of a second, it was just a fantastic finish. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, were left guessing even after after seeing it as to who got it. It wasn't until we got some some split times that we actually knew who got third. Mm. Now, of course, Caruso got the pole in the Beyond Blue Norton Hornet, and a great promotion. It was The car looked absolutely fantastic, and, and unfortunately, he just couldn't get the starts he needed in the double-file rolling starts, Gary. Yeah, well, um, they picked that particular meeting uh, purposely to to do that promotion because of the worldwide audience as well as the local audience. You get a lot of people that probably wouldn't watch V8 supercars would actually see the cars because they're watching the Grand Prix. And um, it it was a good marking exercise. It was reasonably good off the start. It was just that first uh, race into the first corner where the Giz feigned to go down the outside, then swung across the inside, took the lead away, and uh, really left... uh, uh, Caruso wanting from that point because then he was under fire from those pursuing. Yeah, he, he certainly got freight trained there, but it's the first ever poll for Michael Caruso, the first ever poll for Nissan. Good signs there considering the car is looking for some engine development, Tom, in the uh, events to come. Michael uh, actually said in the press conference that he was coming into the event complaining about straight line speed and that drag race between him and uh, Tandex sort of made him feel a little bit silly because he's still after some straight line speed, but he he's definitely got some. So uh, I, I think the Nissans are, are really starting to, to be where they should be, and I think uh, you know we saw some strong results from at various points, all four cars at, at Adelaide. I, I think they will actually be ones to watch out for and um, it'll be interesting to see how they go at at Tassie because it it was a track they were worried about last year and obviously they uh, should have a little bit of confidence this this time around. Mm. And Gary, uh, for James Moffat who was really performing the best of the Nissan drivers unfortunately he gets taken out by his teammate slash owner and uh, he was a sitting duck which then brought the Caruso result into play. Well, it was, pardon me, Mick Caruso was actually fourth of the Nissans at the time. The two Kelly brothers made contact, and that spun one of them off into uh, into the Moffat car and also took out Jones as well. So, yeah, unfortunate, but racing incidents happen. No, no one actually goes out there to try and take other people out in a situation like that. And, uh, yeah, and it all just fell into uh, Caruso's uh, hands, basically. Mm. Okay, so Tom, what did we think of the double file rolling starts and restarts? Do they get a tick? I, I, I'm a fan of rolling starts, but not for V8 supercars. I think a lot of the mystique of V8 supercars is getting the, the these big heavy V8 things off off the line, which 
um, as we've seen in the, uh, from other guys coming into the category, it's a bit of an art form, and if you can do it and, and do it well, it's it's a real talent. So, I think the rolling starts in in a lot of ways take away from part of the uh, the excitement of the start, but. Um, I think the rolling restarts in double file are, are exciting and I think there was uh, less controversy about them at Albert Park than we had in the uh, single file action zone starts in uh, at Adelaide. I guess, Gary, the, the, the bright crash certainly highlighted the, uh, the risks and uh, well, what was your read on the double file starts this um, time? Uh, no, well, they obviously weren't. We can all think, but there was a um, there was a division down the middle that we probably didn't expect after the first race, where they were almost uh, rubbing mirrors, but from that point onwards uh, then Gisberg went over the inside for the restarts to get away from the marbles, dragged half the field over with him, so that gives them plenty of view. The big problem is that what happened to Bridie in um, Adelaide was that uh, the front, front two cars actually went faster early, and, of course, once you're back in the third row or wherever, you can't see what's going on ahead of you, and you rely on your engineer to tell you to accelerate. And, of course, the engineer sees the front car accelerate, so they take off, tell them to take off. And, of course, there's the two cars in between there being the, the Red Bull cars that uh, maintained the correct speed up until the AZ zone began. And, of course, we had mayhem at Turn 1. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how V8s play it out over the next couple of weeks, isn't it, Tom? Whether they decide we'll go the double file starts, uh, restarts for the rest of the year or whether we keep persisting with the single file restarts as they stood at Adelaide. I'm a little bit sick of, of motorsport categories and sport categories around the place that um, come up with new formats at the beginning of the year and then doesn't quite go to plan and then they, they change it four, you know, three, four, six times throughout the year until they find something they're happy with, only to then go and change it again. So I'd like to see them stick it out. I know that it needs a little bit of tweaking, but I'd rather see minor adjustments, maybe an, an extension of the A to Z zone instead of the, the tight um, zone that it is. Uh, but I don't want to see major changes throughout the year. Sounds like, Gary, the, the best change they can make is just increase the speed because Brighty and, and all the others were saying it's too slow for it's it's too slow for third gear, it's too fast for second gear. And so you go to second, you're a big chance of wheel spinning, which is what happened to Jamie Winkup. And you go to third, you're lugging down and you're gonna get overrun by anyone who's in second gear and doesn't wheel spin. Well, it's actually um, Shane Van Gisbergen brought this up at Adelaide. He said taking that up to 80, 80 k's an hour would not change a thing because all the cars would be all grouped together. You'd have the same problem. It's just that it'll be happening a little bit quicker. I think that the best way that, and I'm no expert, don't get me wrong, but I would like, wouldn't like to see these um, slow restarts where the first corner is very close to the AZ zone. I think they should just go back to the old system that safety car pulls into at the at the previous corner and the leader decides when they start. I think the um, these slow starts that we're talking about, double file or single file, would work properly at a, where you've got a long front state like Eastern Creek or Phillip Island, those sorts of places. I don't think you'd have as much drama with it as you would at, say, Simmons Plains where you've got a first corner very close to the start-finish line. Mm. All right. Now, finally, the AGP... Uh, does the AGP becoming a points race require speed to get the 
cable TV F1 broadcast rights. What's your thoughts, Gary? Well, um, yeah, that's, it's an interesting uh, scenario that they've got there uh, because um, Speed don't have the cable rights to Formula 1. Uh, Channel 10 do, and maybe uh, they might be able to work out some sort of deal as far as that's concerned, but uh, certainly should be around at the championship. I think everyone agrees on that because it just seems to be a waste of time going there. Otherwise, apart from the fact that it probably drags a few more people in to watch. Mm. Of course, Tom, what's your thoughts? I, I think that uh, it should be around at the championship. But they just need to make sure that they've got a, a reasonable amount of track time over the weekend. It, you know, there's no point having it a a points round if, if we're limited to, to 12 laps of racing. Um, I think if it should be minimum of 100k races like what we see in at, at other rounds. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, the two hurdles were having their own pit lane and uh, and TV rights. And as far as two uh, issues have been solved for next year. I don't think they have. I don't think Speed could broadcast... I, I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think Speed could broadcast the Grand Prix races. Uh, they might the, be allowed to just uh, televise uh, the V8 races. The yeah. other thing that they could possibly think about is uh, that because the day starts so late there, it starts at around about lunchtime before we actually see any racing happening on the circuit, that we've still got to, uh, at least three hours in the morning that perhaps the V8s could have all to themselves on each day. Well, you mean like they did in Abu Dhabi? Well, I'm not aware of what they did there. Yeah, I think it's the same sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> just that, that, that they're on track from nine till midday each day for all their sessions. And then the, then the Formula One and all the other categories that are there to support will, will take over the regular program in the afternoon. Mm. Yeah, there's certainly things that will be worked through uh, before we see that calendar at Sandown next year. Guys, great pleasure to have you on the show. Look forward to... Uh, well, I'm not going to be able to see you, Gary, at, uh, at Tasmania because you're going to be at Sandown for the Shannons round. Yeah, unfortunately, but that's the way it goes. And we've also got a clash with... Uh, the second round of the Shannon's Nationals at Malar when the course of the eights are in New Zealand at Pukekohe. Mm. And, uh, Tom, looking forward to seeing you down there in Tassie. Oh, I'm hoping to get there, but uh, if not, I'll be at Winton the next week. All right, then. Well, the white flag lap is up next here on the V8 Insiders where we talk tyre banks. I hope you'll stay with us. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we speak with Kevin Fitzsimmons from Dunlop on what is a tyre bank and what do the teams have to do in the way of managing their tyres. Certainly Kevin has to manage the biggest bank of all. We um, get notified when the calendar comes out, basically we start work on um, uh, the events that are coming up. Our production from the factory in Japan starts uh, September uh, through to December. We have a big production run there, but it's a reasonably quiet time for the factory. So we um, sit down with V8 supercars and then sort of work out race by race as to what we require, and that's how I uh, have the tyres built. So 
We had um, uh, 1,217 inch tyres made for the Dunlop Series cars in September and then you roll into October and they built the tyres which are the hard test tyres uh, of which was 24 per car and the Clipsal 500 tyres which is 24 per car so those 1,200 packed up and shipped away in three containers and then the next month we uh, do a big production run in November to cover off the soft tyre rounds. Um, The factory like to separate the hard and the soft so we um, had the tyres made for uh, the, the test tyres, so eight per car, and then the uh, four sets per car for the Grand Prix, uh, and then you're into your Tassie and Winton situation, which is another six sets per car. So uh, we cover all those off in one big production run, and then the Perth tyres get made in a separate one the following month, which gets shipped direct into WA. Saves us a lot of money in freight, which is all good. And uh, go from there. So but the teams themselves, uh, they hold off um, 80 uh, tyres in their workshop at any time. So they need to keep keep on top of that as well because you get the situation of they've just received 32 test tyres so their bank can only be the 80 so they've just got to take that into consideration. you know. So they have a bit of a cull in December, clean the, their workshops out a bit and, um, and go from there and then they can hold 24 wet weather tyres as well. So uh, that becomes their practice tyres uh, for you know, P1, P2 tyres at the race meeting. Uh, some guys for Adelaide have bought the um, tyres out of their test allocation. Some have kept them for test days. So um, this circuit's not particularly hard on tyres. Um, so generally you'd sort of sit back and say, well, OK, we can only change two in the race and just keep a, a green set up our sleeve as a, a bit of a bonus for a bit later in the year when they can come in handy. With a race like Clipsal with 24 hard sets of tyres allocated, they then have the pre-mark, which they can obviously carry up to 80, but they're only allowed to bring a certain amount of those 80 to the track. That's right. You can have um, three sets, so 12 tyres here, hard only, to stop anybody sliding in a set of softs. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the hard tyres only. And that's all regulated in the operations manual, which uh, gets ratified by the FIA. And um, and uh, then that uh, comes out in, de- in the end of December or early January, and that's the rule bible for the you know the, for the season coming up so we know what the allocation of tyres is the teams are aware of it as to uh, what tyres they can use where because we do have a couple of split rounds later this year at Eastern Creek and in Darwin where uh, we have soft and hard tyres um, so they're able to bring soft and hard practice tyres so they sit back and work out mileage and, and uh, heat cycles and all sorts of things and try and get something that will give them a bit of feedback and uh, they'll bring them along as their, as their practice tyres for the event. So, And then we have the situation where later on in the year you have your, your lower 50% of the field that go out for an additional practice session, so they're always given an extra set of tyres. Extra green set of tyres or extra pre-marked? Extra pre-marked, yes. Yeah, so all the uh, the practice stuff is, is um, out of your allocation, so if you've got green ones left and wanted to use them, that's uh, your benefit. But in those uh, first sessions, pretty well, you'll always use uh, a used tyre just to get a bit of a feel on the car as they roll out of the truck. Sometimes it can come out and, and need a bit of work, so you uh, save wasting a set of tyres because that can mask issues. Uh, the cars race on used tyres normally, so um, you need to sort of make them nice on that. Now you also have a situation where some of the test or some of the pre-marked tyres can be hard or soft, even if the race meeting is an all-hard race meeting. Yeah, that's right. They um, they did have that in the original ops manual for uh, for here for Adelaide, um, and then it was changed last week. So um, hard only, and they're going to try and do that across the board. I believe is that um, if it's a split round, you can have the split tyres, but if it's all soft, it's all soft practice 
go from there. So um, the the main problem at the moment, we haven't used soft tyres since the Gold Coast last year. They only got two sets of practice tyres this year. And at this stage, the four sets of tyres from the Grand Prix get returned to us at the end of the meeting. The teams don't get to hold on to them. And that's to ensure that they actually use them there and don't just sort of uh, use the one set over the weekend and use it as a big test day. So that way it you know, keeps it competitive and entertaining for the fans, which is what it's all about. And... Um, uh, just keeps everyone on a level playing field. So uh, they're uh, very short supply at the moment, rolling into uh, Tassie, Winton and Perth, which are three pretty big race meetings. So um, the teams are very closely monitoring what their uh, tie bank situation is. Now, of course, uh, this year their supercars announced that they were going to allow teams to have an extra set of tyres, but they had to be given back after Friday. Yeah, what they've, what they've done is um, there are a couple of places where tyres are a little bit tight and... Um, you've got people paying good money to come through the gate. They want to see cars running around on the track, not sitting in pit lane um, waiting. So what they've decided on is one of the sets of tyres from your allocation from the weekend, whether it be the 24 or whatever at selected events, have to be returned to us prior to qualifying. And then they um, will uh, be able to pick those tyres back up on Sunday night and put them back into their tyre bank again. So it's just to ensure that one of their race sets is used as uh, one of their set-up sets for the, uh, the, the weekend and that and uh, it just uh, you know, gets more laps on the track and keeps the punters happy. My thanks to uh, Kevin Fitzsimmons. Next week, Phil Keed from Lockwood Racing will explain tyre management from a team's perspective. But that's all we have time for on the show as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.